Hi, it's Karen. And before we begin, I want to answer a quick question I receive often. How do I make healthy living simple? I found that with a little bit of planning and a few good tools, I've made living healthy a lifestyle and one that just isn't that hard. Check out some of my favorites on the Pretty Wellness Amazon shop. Just go to amazon.com forward slash shop forward slash pretty wellness. I share my favorite tools and products for healthy living made simple. And here we are now. I want to welcome you to Happiness Through Hardship, the podcast. I'm Karen Sullivan, the founder of Pretty Wellness, a two-time breast cancer survivor thriving with stage four disease and author of the book, which is a cancer guide and journal for patients and caregivers that shares the same name as this podcast, Happiness Through Hardship. I'm also a girl who wishes on pennies. I try to see the good in everything, even when life is not so great. But sometimes it takes a little more. And this podcast will provide you with what worked well for me. Success stories of people that have been through hard times and simple suggestions that brought hope, resources, and connections. And if you like these episodes, please do me a favor, rate, review, and subscribe. Your efforts truly will help this podcast get noticed and help us inspire more people. And now for this episode, I am honored to introduce you to Renee Nicholson, a dancer, teacher, and author of the book, Fierce and Delicate. On this episode, Renee shares her experiences with professional dance and living with rheumatoid arthritis. Her story of resilience and persistence is so inspiring. So please grab your favorite drink, get cozy, and let's get started. I am so excited to be here today with Renee Nicholson, a dancer, author, and teacher whose life has changed from rheumatoid arthritis. It took getting knee replacement surgery in her 30s and learning how to walk again for her to own her unique experience. The humility of this allowed her to reteach herself ballet in a different way. Her story and her book is about living in the world of professional dance and living with chronic disease. This compelled her to write about both, dance and illness. Now, she's received numerous awards for her artistic pursuits in both writing and dance, and as a Master of Fine Arts in Creative Writing, as well as holds a professional certificate in narrative medicine. Renee shares her experiences with professional dance and living with chronic disease in her book, Fierce and Delicate, and is here today to share her story with us. Now, Renee, welcome. I am so honored to have you here today. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, I want to just jump right in. The life of a ballerina, I think as a little girl, that was something that I loved the idea of it. And I know that every career path, no matter what it what it is, has its challenges. So I'd love for you to share with the listeners your story. And I'll toss the mic to you. Okay. Well, um, you know, I think I started uh, the way a lot of uh, young girls do. I just wanted to take dance classes and my mom signed me up. And, uh, you know, I, I, I started training and I, I found myself, most myself, when I was in the dance studio. And, uh, 
you know, had those early experiences with the Nutcracker, which is kind of the ubiquitous thing yep. for dancer. Right, right, right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just uh, found myself um, really loving to perform, really loving being around all the other dancers, sort of taking it all in. Um, and, uh, you know, the more I trained, uh, the more I had the opportunity to travel and, and go study with with new teachers. And so um, I was kind of on this path and, um, you know, very disciplined from a very young age, you know, taking class every day, uh, keeping up with the schoolwork, that sort of thing. And, you know, you go along um, in this very sort of regimented world. I mean, the dancer has class every day and, and you, uh, you know, your body is your instrument. And so I found myself, um, you know, having the probably, and this may sound weird, but workaday experience of being a dancer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of just... Uh, you know, day in, day out, um, you know, working on your technique, learning your roles, um, you know, just doing those things. Um, and, and then, you know, something wasn't quite right with my body and, you know, you're used to this as a dancer because, you know, um, lots of little injuries come up, lots of things, um, you know, when you put that much wear and tear on your body, I mean, it's an art form, but it's a very athletic art form. <laughs> and so you train um, in many ways, much like an athlete. And so, you know, I was used to um, some of those things that that would happen, but I would have these weird swelling episodes, and especially uh, in my knee joints. And you know, the first thought was not, oh, go to a rheumatologist and see if this is an autoimmune disease. Right, right. It is, oh, my, my body is now susceptible to injury. So that kind of complicated uh, some things. But uh, one night I was just in a lot of pain and went into uh, see an ER doctor and, you know, he had just worked with a lupus patient and, and lupus is a, a similar autoimmune condition. And he asked me if I'd ever been to a rheumatologist and I said, no. <laughs> and he said, I'm going to make you an appointment. And, you know, from there, things sort of, you know, uh, snowballed and, um, you know, rheumatoid arthritis uh, can be one of the more straightforward uh, autoimmune diseases. There's something called a rheumatoid factor that they can um, basically find out from a blood test. Um, there are sometimes that can be masked, but in my case, I mean, it was really straightforward. Um, but for as straightforward as the medicine was, for me, that was, wait, wait a second, what? <laughs> um, and so... I then, you know, found myself going, okay, well, what, what else could I be? And, um, you know, I, I found myself uh, taking all sorts of interesting college courses, and I took an intro to creative writing class. And um, the, the instructor was this wonderful writer named Susan Neville. Um, and she, I had no idea she was this award-winning, uh, short story writer and essayist. Um, but I loved her class and we wrote these stories. Um, it was really my first attempt at, at that kind of thing. 
And at the note, there was a note at the top of mine when when she handed them back, and it it said, "Come see me on my office hours." And I thought, "Oh goodness, this isn't going to be trouble." (laughs) Right. (laughs) And she actually uh, was very sweet. I came in and we talked about the story, and she gave me some ideas on how to revise it. And then she asked me a really interesting question. She said, "Did you like writing this?" And I said, "Yeah, I really did." (laughs) Like you know, you, you can major in this. And I said, well, do you think I should major in this? And she said, well, we also have a scholarship and handed me some paperwork. Wow. Um, and, uh, so that, that kind of put me, uh, on the path to writing and, you know, in some ways, you know, I, I became a writer because I could no longer be dancing. But in a lot of ways, it was its own authentic thing. Um, oh, and I understand that. I so understand that because with my story for those um, as a two-time cancer survivor, my second diagnosis, I had actually left my corporate career of 20 years, almost 20 years, a year earlier because I wanted to go to grad school. And when the cancer came back, I decided to go another direction, but I think I would have felt like if I didn't make that choice myself mm-hmm. to leave and that the cancer caused it, it might have been different. So it's uh, it's really beautiful to hear you say that this love of writing or this interest in writing really came in of, a, of itself, not because your dancing career had to go another direction. Right, yeah. And, you know, I think it's... Um, you know, one of those things where some people may come to writing because of a big change like disease. Um, And in some ways that kind of put me on the path, but it was really its own organic thing. And, you know, much like the teachers that I I met and loved as a dancer, I I found this teacher, met her and, and, you know, she changed uh, my life uh, for the better, you know, just uh, that, that little offering of belief Uh (laughs) that's all we really need sometimes is that little oh wait um I could I could see this and so um you know I I started uh down the the path that became an English major with a creative writing emphasis and um and and at first I didn't write about dancing I I wasn't ready to go there yet um and and I sort of honored you know, this new path and read everything I could get my hands on. <laughs> they had this writing center um, and I could go in and there were always like literary journals. Yeah. <laughs> I would just sit there and consume the whole thing, <laughs> you know, just read, 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 read. And uh, so, um, you know, things sort of opened up that way. And, and I was, I was managing the disease, you know, I was um, uh, on a very, very old um, uh, therapy uh, called Gold Shots. Um, and what is that, you know, Gold Shots? Yeah, that literally injecting gold <laughs> into me, um, which is uh, really ironic because I uh, would later develop a, an allergy to gold. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> no, can you, can you, as you're talking here about treatment, can you tell the listeners a little bit about rheumatoid arthritis? What it is, it's you're saying it's a chronic illness, but I think a lot of people out there may just put it in this ballpark like, oh, arthritis, it's for old people, which is not the case. 
Right. Yeah. Um, and, and dancers can, you know, get the more common arthritis uh, earlier than most because of the, you know, wear and tear on the body. But rheumatoid arthritis is an autoimmune disease. And, and that's where your own immune system gets, for lack of a better way of saying it, out of whack and starts to attack uh, healthy tissue. And in the case of rheumatoid arthritis, that's the, you know, the tissue between the joints and it causes uh, swelling and, and inflammation um, and can wear away at the cartilage in your joints and cause other damage. And it's basically, you know, your uh, immune system, which is, you know, finally attuned to attack, uh, you know, things in, in your body that shouldn't be there, uh, in this case, gets uh, confused <laughs> and attacks the healthy cells. Yeah. And uh, so... So um, your, your treatment yeah. then out of the gate was to get these shots? Yeah. And you started, um, you know, you would get them once a week and then it would go down to a couple times a month. And then it was sort of like a monthly maintenance shot. Um, and that was, that worked for me for a really long time and it managed my disease fairly well. I mean, not to the point where, you know, I was back in the dance studio like I was, um, but I could take, um, recreational dance classes, which I often did. And, um, you know, I, I presented as perfectly healthy and normal, um, you know, to people who would just, you know, see me on the street, you know, um, it wasn't an obvious, uh, uh, to, you know, living with chronic disease. Um, and, and I kind of bumped along that way for a while. Um, you know, I, I finished my undergraduate degree, got a job, you know, tried to figure out what was next. Um, and, uh, you know, over time, uh, I did develop an allergy to gold shots and um, uh, ended up going on uh, a much newer uh, medication called Embrel, which is in a classification of, of treatments called biologics. And it tries to, you know, uh, basically help your immune system uh, figure itself out. But in that time, you know, I would have these, these times where I'd have flare-ups, um, this is common for people with rheumatoid arthritis. You can go through kind of lulls where the disease is, is quiet. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, you get a flare and, and, you know, it's, it's spooky because you can't always tell why this is happening. I mean, and what is a flare up? Like, what does that look like or feel like? So it, it's a flare up and, uh, you know, it, it feels like fatigue. I mean, it's a, it's a very heavy sort of feeling, um, a tired feeling, um, but it also uh, manifests as, as swelling in, in joints. And for me, um, my knees have always been particularly susceptible, but I've also had some issues with my feet and my wrists um, and a little bit in the knuckles in my hands, but um not as much as some of the other joints, but it really can, can affect any joint. Um, you know, some people will feel it in their shoulders or their elbows. Um, yeah. you know, those weren't areas that, that affected me. Um, but you get these flares and, and it was, it would feel like it came out of nowhere. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you managed it the best you could. I, I would have, um, you know, some pretty intense swelling, um, 
in my knees. And, and um, I would go in and, and my rheumatologist would actually t- like a, a, take a, a, a needle and pull out some of the fluid from Ooh. inflammation. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. it was a pretty um, interesting process. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, it, at the, you know. Through, did it help? It did, okay. it did. And especially afterwards, I'd usually get, you know, a little bit of uh, lidocaine and, and steroids in there to help manage it. So uh, he would uh, he would always uh, kid me not to, you know, go out and play rugby or anything. Oh, right. <laughs> but, um, you know, and I and I kind of bumped along that way. Um, for a while until, you know, enough years of that happened that, you know, um, you know, things got a, a little more complicated with the disease. And, and so I was off and on, you know, needing the aid of a cane. And that's when, you know, it became a really apparent to other people that, you know, I, that I was living with a chronic disease. Um, at the same time, I was trying to figure out, like, I, you know, I had, you know, various jobs, a lot of times using my writing skills and, um, you know, sort of marketing and editing and, and advertising positions, but not feeling like fulfilled by those things. And I thought, you know, I really would like to go back and do my MFA in creative writing and see if I could do this writing thing. Um, and I think, you know, when your body deteriorates, there's something that clicks in your mind that says, why am I not doing that? (laughs) Yes, I get that. Yeah. And so, um, I said, you know, I thought, okay. Um, so I, I started down that path and I'm like, you know, you know, I, if I go down this way and I don't get in while I tried and I, you know, I was scribbling at night, you know, when I was off work and, uh, you know, all these uh, stories. And at first I thought I wanted to be a fiction writer. Um, I love novels. I love short stories. Um, but as it turned out, what I really, what really wanted to do is write nonfiction and poetry. <laughs> uh, so, um, you know, lots of uh, twists and turns that, that uh, you know, you, you get into it and you, you start to see your path more clearly. So I, I ended up getting into an MFA program and um, I, I started teaching um, and I taught, you know, basic composition courses. And at the time I thought, well, you know, anyone can teach uh, to put yourself through, <laughs> you know, you got this little stipend and, you know, uh, so that, you know, I didn't go into debt and uh, to, to go back for the MFA. So I thought, oh, but very quickly I found I really liked teaching. It wasn't something that had occurred to me really to do. Um, but here I am and I'm writing and I'm teaching um, and things are going really well. At the same time, my body is just sort of wearing itself out. Um, and so that was a, a, an interesting time because on the one hand, it was so open. It was so new. I was doing these things that I, that really just captured my imagination. But my body wasn't really keeping up with, with where my mind was going. <laughs> um, and uh, a, a year after uh, I finished the program is, is when, I, when I had uh, a total knee replacement. 
um, uh, the cartilage had just completely worn away. And the interesting thing was, uh, I, I, I was there with my rheumatologist who, um, uh, very sweet man, um, and who was kind of like an old country doctor almost, um, with, you know, I, I live in West Virginia. That's, that's not uncommon uh-huh. <laughs> here. And, uh, he, uh, he said, you know, it's just worn away. He's like, it's literally bone on bone. And then he said, I really don't know how you're getting around. (laughs) And that was the dancer. Like I I have to get here. I will figure out how to get here. Right. Um, so, um, yeah, I wasn't really much of a, a crier (laughs) and not much of a, uh, you know, uh, at least not in public, um, but when he told me, he thought what I needed was a total knee replacement at the waterworks. I just started weeping in his office and he just let me, um, he didn't try to, he did try to console me, but not in a, you know, dry your tears sort of way, but in a, you know, this is a big thing and it's okay to cry kind of way. And then he did something that was really remarkable when I think about it. He took me into his office and he called who he thought was the very best surgeon. And he literally got him on the phone and said, I have this really important patient and um, she's, you know, younger and nervous about the surgery. And I wanted you to, I wanted to introduce you um, and I wanted her to feel comfortable. And I mean, who does that? Right. (laughs) But, but a good country doctor. Well, (laughs) and I will tell you, not everyone does that, but there are more of them out there. I, I I am so thankful that he did that for you because clearly that's a light. I can hear it in your voice that gave you hope. And there are doctors that, that aren't just treating us like numbers. They're treating us like people, not just patients, but people. And yes. connecting with our emotions. So I love to hear the story and, and other ones out there like this as well. So, yeah. okay, so what did the doctor on the other line say? So he was very kind also and, um, you know, set up the appointment, talked to me a little bit. Um, and, you know, they, they told me to sleep on it, um, you know, on the decision. <laughs> and I called first thing the next morning and I was like, I'm ready to go. Um, let's, let's schedule this and, and get it done. And, um, you know, a month later I, I went in for surgery, um, which, uh, was also pretty quick. Yeah. And I was going to say, you know, he happened to have an opening there. It was like, um, it was almost in some ways like, okay, this series of events was meant to be. So I'm recovering from, from the surgery and, you know, they keep me in the hospital a little bit longer than they normally would. Cause I had to go off all of my RA medication because, you know, th- these, these things suppress your immune system. Right. Can't have that when you're going in for surgery. Right. Right. <laughs> so, so they wanted to give me a little extra time in there to heal and to work with the physical therapist. And the funniest thing, so I'm there and the nurses kept trying to turn my TV on and I kept saying, turn that off. I can't watch television. I've never been much of a television watcher, but 
but I had a stack of books and I would just sit there. I finally had all this time to read. So all these books that I had been meaning to get to, I was sitting there in the hospital and they have my leg on this machine that helps it move. So it's like, we're starting to retrain those muscles. Uh And I'm sitting there reading books and the nurses would all comment. They were like, we have never seen anyone who reads so much. Well, how amazing is that? That here you are going through this major life change, really, and healing. And you're still yeah. in the hospital. And yet you're connecting with what you love, right? Yeah. Besides, right. Is the reading. And, and you know, as I'm hearing you laugh now, I'm not saying you had a good time by any means. But yet you were able to find something that makes you feel good. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, um, things are, are never that clear cut that they're wholly bad or wholly good. I mean, sometimes they are, but those are very discrete moments in time. A lot of times it's, it's all wrapped up in one another. Right. So, I mean, ultimately the surgery is good because it helps, it helps me get around and I'm not in pain. And ultimately the, the surgery is good because I have all this time on my hands in the yeah, hospital. Right. I'm reading all these books that I, you know, had said, you know, I'm going to get to these. I'm going to get to these. Like many of us that are voracious readers that have like the pile up of books. Uh, and and I, all of a sudden I was going through at a, a great clip. Uh, and uh, uh the other thing that was that was really fantastic is every morning my surgeon, the orthopedic surgeon, came in and and dressed my wounds himself. Wow. And um, you know, that was also really meaningful to me. And and just feeling that, that support and that care. Um, I think, you know, opened my eyes to um medicine being able to be a different way and at this point um you know I'm still really just figuring out my world as far as you know uh, as a patient and as this sort of newly minted uh MFA you know I'm, I'm you know figuring figuring out what all that means and so um at the same time I'm I'm writing about dance um you know, I, I hadn't for a long time. Um, and then all of a sudden I'd had enough distance to be able to write about dance without it feeling so grief laden. Yeah, right. And I could just write about it. And I realized I had lots of thoughts, um, conflicting thoughts, the joys, the kind of harrowing things that I'm like, Oh, why do we do that to little girls? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, and there, so there were a lot of different things. So I'm writing about dance and um, I'm, I'm teaching some classes at, at West Virginia University where I did my MFA. And there's a, a new um, director of the dance program who, <clears throat> through a friend of mine who was also a dancer, reads one of my pieces on dancing. And she gets in touch with me and she's like, you clearly, you know, know dance. And she was a modern dancer. She's like, I have a real bun head for you. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think you could come and teach her something? And I had never taught really uh, uh, dance. I mean, a little bit in my training years, but that, you know, I had been a long time. And so I was honest. I'm like, I haven't been in a dance studio in forever. And she's like, just meet her and work with her and, and see what you could do. And, and so I did. And so 
I, you know, I'd had this surgery and I realized, oh my goodness, like I could teach dance. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So I get completely enamored of this idea and I'm like, well, how am I going to teach dance? And, um, you know, the more I start teaching these, these dancers who some of them love ballet, but really hadn't found a teacher, uh, you know, to teach, you know, that, that particular form of dance uh, they're showing up for my class and then other people who hear about me start showing up for my class and I'm like oh um and so I decide okay um I can get some teacher training so I start looking up teacher training and uh, googling things an American Ballet Theater in New York City has this new teaching curriculum and they offer, you know, this training. And I said, I'm going to apply and do that. And I'm like, this is, this is my gift to myself. Yeah. <laughs> With everything you've been through. Right. I'm going to go back and I'm, I'm going to study, uh, you know, at, at one of the, the best places. So I apply, they accept me and I write a grant to the West Virginia um, commission on the arts and they fund it. Um, <gasps> go, um, which I'm forever grateful for. Um, and so here I am packing up to go to New York City, <laughs> like I did when I was a teenager. Um, and uh, there was, you know, I, I go in and, and they're like, literally luminaries. <laughs> they're like people who I had seen dance, you know, as a young dancer. Um you know, uh, whose names, you know, may not be known to the full public, but anybody, you know, with a dance background, you know, probably knows, uh, you know, Christine Stowe or, or Ted Kivett or, you know, some of these folks. And so there I am, like, in this class with them. And I, you know, part of me is this young person again, and part of me is this this sort of new version of myself again. And the smartest thing I did was bring a a journal to take notes for the class and then a journal to, to write about the experience. Well, that to me is so key, especially when one's going through a healing journey. Is yes. I, I'm, I'm wondering if what you're going to say is, because I know for me, when I was going through my initial cancer diagnosis, I grabbed my husband. My husband had a journal. He was probably going to use it for work, but... I started scribbling, literally scribbling my first entry because I was pretty upset. And then I started writing things. And when I went to start writing my book, that's where I started. Some of it gave me complete inspiration to continue like finishing almost the paragraph. And another part of me was like, wow, I can just take that. So is that, was that the entree into the book that just came out? This well, journal work. It, it wasn't, but it did inform it. So I had written um, uh, an essay that in one of my uh, graduate classes, and, um, you know, I, I decided I was going to write very truthfully about my dance experience. And that, you know, at the time, I was still like, oh, I'm going to write a novel. <laughs> I'm going to be a novelist. And I, but I, I took this nonfiction workshop and I wrote this essay and then, you know, I, 
I thought it was pretty good. And, and I got in touch with a friend of mine who's a well-known poet. His name's uh, John Hoppenthaler. And John's like, okay, you have this thing. You think it's good. What are your top five places you would love to see it? He's like, make me a list. So I did. Um, and and uh, he said, okay, send it those places. And I'm like, I can't send those places. Those are all like top shelf literary <laughs> places. He's like, send it there. And so I sent it off and, and I got a couple of rejections. And then, you know, this is, you know, about, you know, 2006-ish. Uh, and um, I, I get an envelope in the mail and I'm sure it's another rejection. And it's from the Gettysburg Review and they've accepted it. <gasps> and I, what? <laughs> and, um you know, not only are, have they accepted it, but they're a paying venue. Uh, and so like, all and then the you time, get paid. Right? I'm like, what just happened here? And so that, but it was funny, like, I should have really paid attention to that at the time. But I thought, okay, this will be neat and fun and whatnot. But I'm going to get back to this novel. <laughs> but I, I found myself every so often writing an essay. So when I started journaling um, for, you know, while I was at American Ballet Theater doing teacher training, I thought maybe it would be an essay, but I wasn't sure. I just wanted to have the record. I wanted to remember exactly how I felt and what was going on. And, you know, being back in New York City, you know, really there's an energy yes, there. Yes, there is trying to capture and, you know, um, while the teacher training is going on, I'm seeing these young girls because they're, um, the teacher training overlaps with, um, uh, it it overlaps with their young dancers workshop. And so, you know, I see, you know, all these, these young girls and they're going into their classes and, you know, they have their hair just so, and all, all these things. And so, um, you know, there was a lot there just to work with. Um, and so I took all these notes and, and I came back, um, and, and I was like, if, if I pass this first level of training, I want to go back. Uh-huh. Um, and so I'm also at this time trying to figure out like what's next with, with my writing and other things. And I apply for um, different writing uh, opportunities. And one of them was a semester as uh, the emerging writer in residence at uh, Penn State's Altoona campus. And, you know, I'm like, hundreds of people are going to apply for these things. Why are they going to take me? But I apply anyway. Because, <laughs> you know, you can't help yourself, right? Like, if you if you don't apply, you don't right. get Right, right, exactly. So, um, you know, the amazing thing there is, is I do get it. And one of the um, professors that was on the committee um, really became a champion of my writing because his daughter had been a dancer. And so he he recognized in my writing, you know, uh, this this very true thing. And this time I said, you know, I'm I, I'm still working on this novel, but I'd also really like to work on these essays. And that's when I first started to think, maybe I do have a book in in all this. So I go there and I I write like crazy um, that semester. Um, you know, I really uh, start to flesh out 
more of these essays. And I, I start with my experience at American Ballet Theater. And, you know, at the same time I'm doing that, I'm applying to go back for the next level right, of training right. semester. So like dance and writing start to become a thing that, you know, kind of happens in tandem. And, uh, and isn't that amazing that there are these two loves of yours and that so many times they, it doesn't intertwine in life, but that sounds like it's your story is that w- like one led you into the direction of the other, but not even really realizing it. It did. It did. And, you know, I, I was able to, you know, really kind of balance out a lot of things that have been a part of my life. You know, I wrote, I started writing very honestly about rheumatoid arthritis at the same time I was writing about dance. And so I was writing about my current body while I was also writing about a remembered body. And that was a really interesting experience. And it allowed me, I think, um, to kind of free myself up, um, you know, and to accept that what was and what 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 is, um, you know, because the interesting thing is, is after I had the surgery, I was so different to so many people that they thought I was, you know, cured. And I'm like, that's not how rheumatoid arthritis right. works, right? But I was able to do a lot more um, because of that surgery. And um you know, I, I think that I sort of entered a phase where possibility was this this real thing. And, you know, um, I have found some things that really did manage my RA in a better way. So, um, you know, I was able to kind of capitalize on the gains of the surgery because of that. And so, you know, uh, I, I go and, and I have this time of writing and then I come back and it's sort of the, the writing and the dance and I'm teaching some ballet classes at WVU, but I'm also teaching some writing courses at WVU. And, and so it all becomes a kind of fun, soupy mix. <laughs> now, can you answer this for us? You're clearly, you love writing. It's your passion. You're a writer. So many people don't consider themselves writers. They don't think they can write well. They don't realize. And I'll tell you, I had a grad school professor that had said to me, everybody's a writer. Do you write a list? Do you write things on post-it notes? Did you ever have to write in school or for your job? Well, you're a writer. And it's funny, I laugh because it opened my eyes. We all can be writers, which is why when I go out and I talk to groups about wellness, healthy living, you know, positivity, what whatever the topic might be, I do believe in all those facets that we all can write and it can be cathartic. And I believe, from what I've read about you, you talk about narrative or, or is it not narrative writing, but narrative medicine. And so I think that you believe this as well. Will you share with us a little bit about narrative medicine and how whatever the hardship that whoever's listening right now, maybe it's rheumatoid arthritis or maybe it's not how this might be able to help them. Absolutely. And, and narrative medicine was something I was doing without really knowing I was doing it. (laughs) Um, And especially when I started to write about, uh, about having RA. Um, But the, the way I got into narrative medicine is, um, it's through a man I, I 
would come to know um, because his palliative care physician was trying to find a creative writer to help him. Um, his name was Jamie Shumway and he had ALS and he wanted to write a memoir uh, before he passed. And um, so his palliative care physician took it upon himself to find a writer. Well, um, WV had had a new director of dance um, and this palliative care physician's uh, child and the director of dance's child were friends. And so he said, you know, I know, you know, writing isn't your thing, but maybe, you know, some writers, you know, artistic people tend to know other artistic people. He says, I know exactly one writer and I think she would be perfect. (laughs) And that was me. And so he gets in touch with me and I have no idea what palliative care is. I am literally Googling it while I'm talking to him and um, I'm Googling ALS. This was pre ice bucket challenge. Right. 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 And been in our, our, uh, our consciousness. And I said, he asked me if I could help him or I could help Jamie. And I said, I don't know if I can help him or not. I've never done anything like this, but I would like to meet him. And so I met him and I was just compelled. He can't lift a pencil at this point, right? He's in this mechanical wheelchair that he operates with like a sort of joystick thing that he uses his chin to move around. And he moves with the grace and speed of say like an indie car, like an a speedster. And um, he said, you know, I, I want to tell my stories in first person in my own voice. And I need someone to help me with this. And all of my writing friends are like, this is crazy. You can't spend all this time working on somebody else's work. What about your work? But I was so compelled by him. So I start working with him and I start figuring out how to help him write. And we would literally go line by line. Um, and at the same time I'm doing this, I'm like, somebody else has must have done this. There must be you know, some sort of guide. So I keep you know, Googling things, you know, writing with illness, writing with dying people. And I keep coming back to this program at Columbia University called Narrative Medicine. So, you know, after coming back, however many times, I'm like, okay, they have a weekend workshop. I need to go there. And so I do. Um, And I learn about this practice and they, they bring together um, clinicians of all kinds, you know, doctors, nurses, physical therapists, occupational therapists, what have you, patients, and literary people. And it was founded by this woman. Her name is Dr. Rita Sharon. And she is a general internist there at Columbia, but she also has a PhD in literature. And she realized the two had more in common um, than people realized. And so she coined the term narrative medicine. And it's to honor the stories of illness. And so I'm there at this workshop and I'm like, this is the stuff, right? Like it just opened my eyes. Um, and so I, I continue to, to work with Jamie on his, his memoir. And I, I just continue to study, um, you know, I, I, I guess I keep collecting certifications. <laughs> I got the certification from American Ballet Theater and their full training. And then as soon as that ends, I find narrative medicine and I decide to do that certification. <laughs> well, to, to me, what's so beautiful about this is that you yourself have used this, call it the format narrative medicine, like writing about your illness. Yes. And you're also helping somebody 
else write about theirs when they can't do it. And that, so you can understand the struggle a little bit of the ailment, not necessarily his ailment, but just having that and also wanting to share the story because stories are what give us hope. So those that are, that are listening right now, you know, I hope that they don't get a chronic illness diagnosis, but if they do your story, your story can bring them hope. And if they have another something cruddy that happens to them, knowing that connecting with others, I mean, that is in some ways why I wrote my book, why I started this podcast is because stories are what helped me. I remember with my stage four diagnosis, telling people, I don't want to hear any bad things yet. I don't want to hear anything bad things yet. But if you have success stories, because, hey, I spent many years in business and you focus on success stories a lot. If you hear success stories, I want to hear it. And those stories inspired me and motivated me. So let me tell you, I am so grateful, not just that you wrote this book of essays, because I think it can be incredibly helpful for others and heartwarming as well, but that you are here to tell your story to the listeners. And even me, this fills me up to talk to you. So on that note, I was wondering if you would be willing to play the grateful game with me. I certainly would. I love for all those that are new to me and happiness, the hardship, the podcast, gratitude is something I really believe in. Having a small mindful practice where you focus on positivity is what led my son and I to coin what we call the grateful game. We play it most nights before we go to bed. And, you know, any, you can make it whatever rule you want to make, but our rules are we give ourselves a short amount of time, a few minutes, or in this case, you and I, Renee, will do 30 seconds. And okay. we'll talk about really quickly what we're grateful for and why, and then toss it to the next person and whoever has more wins, right? So <laughs> I will start. And I will say with all this talk about dancing and ballet, it made me think of my cousin Abe. When he was young, he was um, in the Nutcracker, as you mentioned, for uh, the American Ballet Theater in New York City. And it's pretty amazing. I then got to go backstage at Lincoln Center and see it. And so where I'm grateful for and why, like today or this week, is because his mother, my Aunt Jane, was the first person in my family that I saw a few days ago with all of COVID and us, you know, being so removed from so many things and so many people. And it was, I am so grateful that she was flexible with me. Like when I could come in, she was willing to wear a mask the whole time if I needed that. And I just, we walked up to each other. I gave her a big hug in the middle of Brooklyn and I just started bawling. I was just so, it was so beautiful and wonderful to be with family. And I love my, my in-laws and, and they live near me here. Um, I love, I love, 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 I'm really close to them, but there's something about my aunt Jane that has known me for my entire life. And I'm so grateful that she helped make that happen and make it easy for me. So, okay. That was over 30 seconds. So I'm sorry. I'm going to toss it to you. What's your 45 seconds worth? Well, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, kind of jump off or dovetail from from your COVID because I I got to see um, a wonderful friend and colleague of mine. Uh, her name is Dr. Lisa DeFrank Cole, and she runs our leadership studies program at WVU. And she had a book 
um, on women and leadership that came out during the pandemic. And of course, I had this book that just just come out. And she's one of the first people I got to see uh, when we were both vaccinated and we were able to share our books together. Oh, that's great. Signed copies to each other. And it was really, really meaningful um, because this is someone who had just been um, a real light um, in, in my life and, and helped me understand some of my experience through the lens of leadership. I'd never thought of it that way. Um, and she and I actually had co-authored a paper on women, ballet, and leadership. And um, so to get to see her um, as one of my first colleagues, it yeah. just it really filled my heart. Um, I was very joyous and she is unfailingly um, optimistic and you can just feel it off of her. You know, <laughs> she's just one of those people when you're in her presence, you just feel good. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I understand that. And sometimes, um, you know, it just is really wonderful when we're surrounded by that positive energy and especially in a celebratory manner. So it looks like we tied. And again, as I say on so many of these episodes, it really isn't whether you win or lose. It's just playing the game. So all you listeners out there, I encourage you to take a moment, whether it's right now as you're listening to this or before bed, um, just take a few moments, think about what you're grateful for, because Uh, You know, listen, I can't guarantee it's going to change your day or it's going to change your ailment or hardship, but I can guarantee, I do believe that it will bring a little bit of positive energy into your life and maybe change your mood. And that helps us take small steps towards better health and happiness. So hopefully you have been able to, um, to feel good in this conversation and spark a little bit of positivity that will help you find joy during whatever journey you're going through in life. So thank you to the listeners. Thank you, Renee. I hope everybody has a wonderful, wonderful day and bye for now. Thank you so much for joining us today. I want to leave you with a quick thought, but first a request, please take a minute to rate review and subscribe. You leaving a review helps us with our podcast ranking. The higher we are ranked, the more people can discover our show. And tell your friends about us because if you love us, they might as well. And now, my parting words. In this episode, we talk about how writing can be healing. When I was first diagnosed with cancer three months after my wedding, I didn't know what to say or to feel, so I just scribbled. And then I started writing a little. And then I started writing more. And years later, I went back to that journal, taking excerpts to use in my book, Happiness Through Hardship. Not only can writing be cathartic to the writer, it can be helpful to so many, which is why I published this book, in hopes to help those touched by cancer. It's not only a resource filled with stories and information, it's also a journal and note-taking book. I hope it will put a smile on their face and help make their hardship just a little bit easier. Thanks again for joining us today. I am sending you lots of happiness and great health. Bye for now.